Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's, uh, let's look at scripture together. If you would open your Bibles to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11, 24 to 28, and then we'll have a passage from 1 Timothy after that. Proverbs 11, 24 to 28. Our scriptures today are so interesting. Listen to God's word for us today. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but bless the one who sells in time of need. If you search for good, you will find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Isn't it interesting? These words were written thousands of years ago, but so fresh and relevant for us today. Let's look also at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're reading verses 6 through 11 and then 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Yet true godliness with contentment, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run, run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And over to verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. True life. That's what God is offering us. True life. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, God. Thank you for caring enough about us that you don't leave us all alone. You don't Leave us without your word. So open our ears and our hearts to you so that we can hear you speaking today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I brought my uh, sermon illustration with me this morning. 
my coffee cup. Because I love a good cup of coffee. What do I need to be content? I need a good cup of coffee with half and half, and I'm good. If I have a coffee and I can sit with a good book and in a comfy chair, I'm content. That's all I need. I'm content. At least for a little while, right? Not too long after we find ourselves content, we often find ourselves starting to work and worry and wonder what the next thing is that can make us truly content because we have a hunger to be content. It's that hunger that's inside of each one of us, built into the human condition. Where do you find true contentment? Where do you find contentment that lasts, that doesn't just expire and drift away? Where do we find true contentment? Remember those credit card commercials that were on a few years ago? It would give you several different things to spend your money on. Here was one. It said two tickets, $37. Hot dogs, soda, and nachos, $28.50. One foam finger, $5. Spending quality time with your son, priceless. I always thought those commercials were so interesting, so well-produced and thought-provoking, and they seem to be really trying to get us to believe that if you spend enough money, you'll get something priceless, like contentment, like happiness. If you spend enough money, you can really buy happiness. Interesting. That's a message we get a lot from the world around us. That contentment and money, that contentment can be bought with money. We've been talking about money this month as we focus on stewardship. We're calling it strength in generosity. And it's really not a matter of funding or a matter of keeping the lights on or paper to print the bulletins on, although those are helpful tools. That's not what our relationship with God is really all about, though. We're focusing on stewardship because it's really a matter of our hearts. And God wants our hearts to be free. And he knows that money is one of those things that trips up our hearts so often. It's a matter of growing spiritually. John Maxwell says that stewardship deals with the person, not just with the purse. Not just with the purse. So while money can be a touchy subject, I think it's always a touchy subject because we care a lot about it and it has a big impact on our lives. I am so grateful that our Christian faith has so much to say about a subject that is so close to us. I am so grateful that our scriptures have so much wisdom that we can learn and live by about a subject that is so important in our everyday lives. So we're celebrating that today. We're celebrating that our Christian faith is truly relevant to where we live Monday through Saturday. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. So how does the world teach us to manage our money? 
How does the world teach us to look at money and think about money and use money? What priorities do we learn from the world around us? I read a list once that Saddleback Church in California put out of how the world teaches us to, uh, to, to use our money. And I, I thought, as I looked at the scriptures this week, that that list was so relevant. So I pulled that out again. And it's, uh, it's fill in the blanks in your bulletin if you want to pull out that insert. There's little blanks for you to fill in. And we'll look at those four ideas and then how the scriptures turn that on its head. So the first way that the world teaches us to use our money, to manage our money, is to enjoy it. Enjoy it. That's the first blank to fill in. Enjoy. The world says, you deserve it. You owe it to yourself. You worked hard for this. You can use it. It's yours to do as you please. We often over-enjoy our money which lands us in debt. According to nerdwallet.com, as of last month, American consumers had an average credit card debt of $15,270, an average mortgage debt of $149,925, and an average student loan debt of $32,258. The average American consumer has a lot of debt. All that debt leads us to the next thing that the world teaches. This is the next slide or the next blank to fill in. And that is to repay. After we enjoy, we've got to repay. Repay the debt from overspending. With that amount of debt that the average American carries, repaying isn't optional. It's a monthly thing that we've got to do. The next thing the world says is the next priority, if you've got some left over, is to save, to save, to save for the future once we're out of debt with people living longer and with job security and even social security less reliable than it used to be. We know we need to save, as difficult as that may be. So once we've enjoyed our money, and we've repaid our debt, then we work on saving, and finally, if there's a little bit left over, if there's anything left over, then the world teaches us to give, to give as our last priority, if there's anything left over. Well, how do those priorities work? Do they lead to real contentment in life? Well, let's ask those who have tried it. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Jack Whitaker, who won $314.9 million in the lottery on Christmas Day in 2002, several years later was quoted as saying, I wish I'd torn that ticket up. Wow. $314. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. So the world teaches us to find contentment in money when we enjoy, repay, save, and give. It's so interesting that the Bible turns those steps, those priorities, completely upside down, completely upside down. The Bible teaches us about managing our money to start with the first one being give, 
So that's the next blank to fill in, is give. The Bible puts that one right at the top. Proverbs 11.25 that we just read says this, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Generosity to others, the Bible says, leads to satisfaction, leads to contentment in life. It does something to our hearts when we give. It changes the shape of our hearts. And it says that those who refresh others will be refreshed. When we give, we find ourselves blessed. Bill and I will never forget an, an amazing way that God taught us that in seminary. Like most seminary students, we didn't have two extra nickels to rub together most days. But uh, we got good financial aid, and we were both working um, as we were both students, and um, our needs were met. We had a good friend who was another seminary student who needed to have surgery, and we had been talking about this and how his insurance wasn't going to cover it, and like other students, he didn't know where this money was going to come from. He didn't have it. He put off the surgery. He really needed it, and just about that time, a little extra money came into Bill's and my possession, and we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to just be able to bless this friend who really needed it, and so we pulled together a little bit of cash, and we put it in an envelope with a note that said, this is for your surgery, and just left it anonymous, and put it in his seminary post office box. And we just happened to be right there in the seminary post office when he went to his mailbox and pulled that out and read it. And not knowing that it was us, he came running over to us and said, guys, you'll never believe what God just did through somebody. Somebody just sent me some money for my surgery. And the joy that he experienced and the joy that overflowed into our lives Nothing we could have spent that money on for ourselves could ever have given us that kind of joy. I think God was planting a little seed in our lives to help us understand that those who refresh others will be refreshed. When we're generous, it blesses us in some way that spending that money on ourselves just never could. And it often blesses us in ways that we, we didn't expect or not the ways that we would have asked for. God challenges us to test him, to see if when we are generous, he won't be generous with us. So often when we become tithers, material blessings do show up in our lives, but often those blessings that show up in our lives don't come in material form. And here's the challenging part. There comes a time in every one of our lives when something that we really wanted or needed from God doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And we come face to face with the sovereignty of God, that God gets to choose what comes into our lives And we're left with this humbling realization that we cannot ever treat God like a vending machine. That if we put enough in, we'll be able to get out what we want. God never 
allows our relationship with him to be reduced to a transaction like that. Every time God's people in the scriptures try to reduce their their relationship with God to a transaction, God always is pulling them back and correcting them. God will always be God. Isaiah 59, 55.9 says this. God says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what does it mean in Proverbs 11? 25, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. Well, I think he's talking about contentment. I think he's talking about contentment. Contentment is not giving up and giving in. It's realizing that though the circumstances that you're in are not maybe what you would have asked for, maybe not even what you have been praying for, that it's enough, it's okay. And God will use it. God will use it. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth, Paul says here in 1 Timothy. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Elizabeth Crawford says, Contentment comes when we remember that what God chooses is far better than what we choose. So our first priority is to give. And that's why we teach tithing, not to be legalistic, not to ever say you have to pay God this amount in order to make him happy or in order for him to like you. That's not the character of God that we know from the scriptures. We teach tithing because when we give a certain amount that stretches us, and for most of us, 10% stretches us, when we give a certain amount that stretches us right off the top, It builds generous giving as a pattern right into our lives. And that makes us more like Jesus. And that's what we really want. We want to be like Jesus. So first and foremost, the Bible teaches us as our first priority to give. The second priority is to save. And that's the next blank. To save. 1 Timothy 6.18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life, saving where it will last. Remember what Jesus said? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't get to it. That's saving where it will really last. John Wesley said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. When we give in Jesus' name to those in need, we are saving up for eternity. Proverbs 19.17 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. Isn't that a cool idea? I can lend to the Lord. You can lend to the Lord when you help the poor. You are lending to the Lord. That's storing up treasures in heaven, as Jesus taught us to do. Now, if we're not overspending, we won't have such a heavy load of debt. So our next step can be to repay, to repay. We can focus on repaying not MasterCard or Visa, but the one we truly owe a debt to. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. God has given us so much, so much to be grateful for. He's given us everything. We could never really repay him, but we can show our gratitude by the way that we use everything that he's given us, including our money. Charles Thomas Studd lived in the 1800s. He was a son of a rich businessman and a very accomplished athlete. And when Jesus got a hold of him, he decided he was being called to be a missionary to India. He eventually went to India, China, and Africa. And in the mid-1800s, that was really pretty much a death sentence. Most missionaries never came home because of so much disease and the long journeys involved. He is famously quoted as saying this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. The Apostle Paul said, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And finally, the the last priority the Bible teaches us is to enjoy. Enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17, the second half says, Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, for our enjoyment. There was once a rich businessman who was disturbed to see a fisherman in the middle of the day just sitting by the side of his boat on shore looking out over the sea. And he said to him, why aren't you out there fishing? It's the middle of the day. And the fisherman said, well, I've caught enough for today. And the rich man said, well, why don't you go catch more than you need? And the man said, well, what would I do with all those extra fish? The rich man said, well, you could sell them. And the man said, well, what would I do with all that extra money? And he said, you could buy a bigger boat. And then you could go out deeper and fish in deeper water and catch more fish. And then you could sell more fish And then you'd be able to buy nylon nets and catch even more fish and sell those. And pretty soon you'd have a whole fleet of boats. And then you'd be rich like me. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? And the man said, well, then you could sit down and relax and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing right now? (laughs) True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth, 1 Timothy says. The Living Bible puts it this way, do you want to be truly rich? You already are if you are happy and good. You already are if you are happy and good. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, Paul says, we brought nothing into this world with us when we came And we can take nothing out of it when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. When we manage money, God's way, simple pleasures can be enjoyed. So that's why we're talking about money this month. Because there is strength in generosity. 
And we don't want to just talk about it and think about it. We want to be practical about it and really figure out how we can live this. So we've given you a tool this morning to use to help you put it into practice. There's a card in your bulletin that looks like this. If you'd pull that out, take a look at that with me. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to fill this out as an act of worship and to bring it forward. Now, some of you are guests today. You're just visiting And you're thinking, I'm not sure what all this was about, is all about. I'm not sure I'm on board this ship. And that is fine. Just enjoy the quiet music and a chance to rest and pray as we do this. Some of you made a commitment a couple years ago during our last stewardship campaign. And after thought and reflection and prayer, you've decided that what you committed then is the right amount for you to continue with throughout the rest of this year, good. That's great. You can fill out another card if you'd like, or you can just continue on how you've been going. Either way is fine. Some of you just don't like commitment cards, the whole idea of it, and that's okay too. We're not going to chase you down or pressure you. But some of us find it helpful to put our good intentions down on paper, to make it something physical, something concrete. It's like this pedometer that my, my health insurance company sent me to wear because they want me to take 7,000 steps a day. And I agree, I should probably take 7,000 steps a day, right? It'll make me a healthier person. So I wear this little pedometer every day, and every day I can look at it and say, did I make my goal today? No. Yeah. Adjust my life accordingly. This is a similar kind of thing, just to help us make our good intentions concrete. So take a look at this with me. And this is really between you and God as it starts out as a response to God's generosity to me. That's where it all starts. It's between you and God. I want to give to God's work through BPMC. For the remainder of 2014, I plan to commit. So this is just for the remainder of this year. And this is not like a legal document that if you put an amount here and things change, someone's going to come after you. It's an intention. It's a plan between you and God. And you see there's three categories here. One is the regular offering. And we've split that total into operating fund and building fund. Operating fund is the stuff that keeps us going every day here pays the staff, pays for curriculum for Sunday school, pays for the paper that your um, bulletins are printed on, things like that. If we have about 70% of what comes in allocated toward operating fund, that keeps, that's about the balance we need. The other part of that is the building fund. We're not saving up to build a new building. The building fund is paying off our mortgage. We have about 3.1 million left to pay on this building here. And it also goes when there's a need for major repairs. And then we give you the option, just however it's easiest for you, weekly, monthly, yearly, to to figure out those numbers. The second category down, the second box, is an above and beyond gift to the building fund to pay down the mortgage. We talked last week about how our mortgage gets reset this fall. And if we can really hammer away at it right now, we can literally save millions of dollars of interest on the other end. Compound interest is an amazing thing. So if you are 
feeling led to give an above and beyond gift toward the building fund to just help pay that down faster than our long mortgage time. Save us some entrance. That's the second box. We talked about a Coke a day, $10 a week, and the impact that that could make. And then the third box is about our Sunday school class, our small group that's coming up after Easter, managing our finances God's way. We really want to give as many of you an option to do this as would like to, because we know these are not easy decisions, and it's a process to get balance into our lives in this area. So we'd like to help you do that. If you'd like information about that, you can check that box. In a few minutes, um, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have some quiet music. And the musicians I'd like to invite back up here as I wrap this up. Um, And this is really an opportunity for you to have a conversation with God. This is really between you and God. Just one other note, you see that missions is not a separate category on here. If you give to the operating fund or you give to the building fund, part of both of those always goes to missions. So you are supporting missions through both of those. As, uh, as we have some quiet music, just take some time to pray and to fill this out. And then as we sing our last song, as you feel led, just come forward and lay your commitments in these baskets before the Lord. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, that is a wonderful thing too. Let's pray together. God, everything you've given us is a gift, and and we're so grateful. We want our hearts to be free, free to love you, free to live the life that you've called us to live, true life. We want to be free to be content. So God, guide us as we seek to use these gifts from you in a way that brings you honor and glory and a way that sets us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.